With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. And welcome to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Hey, Europe! <laughs> so that every time we don't lose. Um, it's Pod three seven seven, and Palace haven't lost. In fact, we've drawn one all at Everton, which is quite a good result and performance, which we're talking about uh, on this very episode. Uh, joining me this week, Kevin Day. Uh, hello to you. Hello there. How are you doing? It's snowed. It snowed. I heard. It snowed. It snowed in Norbury this afternoon, which which cheered me up momentarily. But it's now daylight at eight o'clock. So obviously, I've gone back into my miserable Christ Springs here mood. But it's daylight. I mean, it's currently eight o'clock in Cheshire, and it's not daylight. So how you, how much of a time you, difference is there between? You do realize and you're, in a, up you're up. in a room with no windows. You know that, don't you? <laughs> uh, it's lighter well, in the north. If it's daylight here, it'll definitely be daylight where you are. I mean. It sort of is. Although it's... you're in 1974 where you live, so it could be... <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? Most integrated town in the UK. That's official. Um, Andy Street is here. Hello to you. Yeah, that was according to Policy Exchange, a notorious right-wing blog beloved of Michael Gave and Boris Johnson. <laughs> yeah, and I, was just, just, I, I just wanted to add on that just I don't, just don't recognise it. upon the politics of anyone. By reference to that, I just want people to know the full yeah. facts. Yeah, I, you actually, I didn't finish. I was saying most integrated town, and I do not recognise that study. So I just want to get that <laughs> record as well. I'm uh, back, and you're welcome. <laughs> you are back. Yeah, you haven't been. You've been away for a bit. It's good. Good to I be have. back. Yeah, it's good to be back. Well, you've timed it very well. Another man has timed his appearance very well. Is one of our patrons returning. Uh, after his appearance last season. I can't remember what the score was last season when he came on, but he's timed it well this week. It's Joe Lee. Joe, how are you doing? And what was the game last week? Uh, it was during the pandemic. So it was, we were talking about the shortly lived history of Palace being the oldest club in the <laughs> football league. <coughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm very well. well. <laughs> You're just waiting for proof of that, Joe. That's all. It's still... 
Well, I think we'll... I'm sure the right wing think tank that Andy mentioned will have some sort of report on it very soon. So uh, keep your ears peeled for that one. Um, right before we go on to the uh, Everton result, can I get a, a drum roll, please, for a random patron? Ding, 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 ding. It's Mr. Alexander Onisi Foro. Hi, Alexander. There we go. Uh, and you can join Alexander and Joe at, in our Patreon, uh, where you'll get all sorts of rewards like the post-match podcast, patron-only merchandise, and access to the WhatsApp club at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. Um, quick shout out to everyone that sponsored us for Race Europe, which has now ended. And we made it, Andy, I think, didn't we, to our final destination, which I think was St. Petersburg or someone like that. You were, you were joining us uh doing some cycling efforts um yeah. so well done well done to you thanks jd I, I was particularly impressed by your 5k contribution as well it all counts it all counts <laughs> no matter how small uh but anyway thank Indeed, you to everyone that sponsored us i believe we are still accepting donations i think you can still donate and all the money goes to palace for life foundation so if you go to justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash fyp hyphen race hyphen europe uh then you can drop a donation there and the palace for life foundation would very much appreciate it as would we um kevin someone else i appreciate is Oh my goodness. I guess Roy Hodgson for um, guiding Palace to an excellent. No, do you know what? I'm going to go back. Someone else I appreciate is Vicente Guaita, because that's what I've got written on my notes here that I wasn't looking at, um, who put in a fantastic performance in Palace's one or draw at Everton uh, on Saturday, Monday. My word, I am sleep deprived. Um, how good was that performance from uh, Vicente there in, in, in saving us a point? Is this a. A genuine question on one of your ham-handed ways of getting into the sponsor. We are, this is a question. Is you, normally you lure me in and then go, no, no, I, I meant as a mortgage <laughs> agent. How good was he as a mortgage brick? <laughs> I, I, I think it's... Um, how much does he need a massage after Monday night? I, I, I think it's a bit unfair to pick Vincenti out as the reason for us getting a point out of that game, to be honest. I was I was very impressed with, that, with the whole team. There's no... You can't deny that Everton had the better chances... Um, a lot of which came from our defensive errors. And there were some issues, especially in the first half, with the way Everton switched wings relatively easy, get, got the ball from side to side relatively easy. But I thought it was, I was actually quite impressed with the performance. I thought we we held the ball really well and it was possession football with intent. I thought we looked we looked positive about ever really stretching their keeper. And I, so much so that I was actually quite disappointed with Sky's post-match analysis and listening to BBC Radio as well, because they're, both of them were talking about uh, Everton throwing it away, Palace snatching an undeserved point, and I didn't think that was right. That plays into their narrative, of course, that Roy is a dinosaur and Ancelotti is a genius if only his players realised it. I thought as a thoroughly, a thoroughly deserved point. Yeah, Gaeta, Gaeta was, was good, but we've, we've come to expect that. I thought it was a really good all-round, actually quite refreshing performance. And there was a lot of talk at the start of the game about the statistics for both teams, if they concede first, that basically whoever scores the first goal is going to win the game. Yeah, And I, I was really impressed with the way we responded. So I thought we I thought we thoroughly deserved the point. I thought we we, we looked good. We looked enterprising. I was, I was really chuffed. And I was, I was pleased that for once, social media, even some of Roy's biggest critics, uh, acknowledged afterwards that... Yeah, Roy had got the substitutions right and the positive intent right. So no, I, was, I was pleased with it. And yeah, Vincente was as, was as good as we know he is, basically. He did his job really well. But yeah, all in all, I was chuffed. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think we all were. Um, as you can imagine, Kevin, we all have a, a question regarding a certain the way that you go around a bend in a road. That's as, as cryptic as I'll get. So you can prep your answer for that at some point in yes, yes, part we have, yes. three. Um, <laughs> no, he's ruined it already. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, it was it was a great performance. I, I do want to come on to it in a minute because it was it was the most sort of enterprising I think we've mm. seen Palace be in, in some time, and we do have some some questions about that. But Joe, just on. Um, on Guaita. Kevin makes a really good point there, actually, because we've, we've had questions here from Paulie Mantel, hi, Paul. hi Paulie, and Michael D. Middleton, oh, hi, Michael, both saying, is he the best keeper we've ever had? Paulie says, best keeper since Nigel Martin. Michael says, best keeper ever. But actually, Kevin makes a good point there that his the bar is so high for Guaita now because of his own performances that actually maybe that was just a normal performance for him because he set the bar so high, which, of course, then on the flip side means that when he has a bad game, maybe it's more obvious. But I mean, he's just—he's become such a fantastic player for us and on a free transfer. But yeah, where do you quantify that performance? Because I, I hadn't really quite thought that from what Kevin said that actually the bar is high for him, but of his own of his own doing. Yeah, very much so. Um, I think he's—it it does feel kind of like a standard quieter performance in in a way. I don't think. I mean, put it down to how Everton took the chances. I think he made a great save. I think his best one was actually the one he made before they scored. Yep, yep. I thought that was superb. But the rest of the chances, they kind of felt like the finishing we'd expect from our strikers. They, they, you know, they kind of he made the saves he was he had to make. But we've not always been blessed with goalkeepers that do that, especially in the Premier League. Um, so yeah, so I think I think it's a standard performance for him, but I think he is he as good as Nigel Martin. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm not sure. He's probably better on a skill and technical ability wise than Spironi, but you know there's some romanticism there with Jules that I don't think any goalkeeper will ever match. Um, so I, I, it's difficult. Um, he's definitely. Probably the best goalkeeper we've had at Palace since I've been following us. and But that's, you know, he just about pips Baroni for that. But, it's, yeah, it's a standard performance. I mean, I think he would probably be disappointed to concede the chances uh, that Everton took in terms of their finishing. So, yeah, so how he uh, doesn't get in the Spain squad, I I don't get yeah, yeah, somebody, I, yeah, I agree about that. Somebody made a really good point the other day. One, I can't remember which newspaper it was, but that that playing in front of no crowds is particularly difficult for keepers. It's hard enough for keepers to concentrate anyway if the ball is at the other end. But when there's no, when it's essentially an empty stadium, they've got to work really hard to concentrate when when suddenly the balls appear in front. Which I, which I, I thought was an interesting point, and I, I feel a little bit for Gracie because, you know, if there'd been away fans there last night, he would have been applauded off very loudly you know? and there's several times at Sellers Park when he would have he would have got a really brilliant response and you know sometimes a tackle or a save can lift can really lift a team but I thought it was interesting the way the defenders responded to his saves last night the Cahill goes to him virtually every time he makes a save sometimes it's probably to say sorry about that that should never have been. but it, it's it's really interesting how as a, as a unit as a back four they seem really they seem really tight. And I, that question, it's impossible to answer that question about who's the best keeper because f- football's so different in each generation and they're playing in, behind such different defences. But he's, he must be getting close. He's certainly up there with Nigel Martin, John Jackson, Julian, 
and and others. I would have I would have thought, but it's just it's just something about me. He's not, and I, I'm not being funny. But Nigel had his moustache and his accent, and Julian was was Julian. Do you know what I mean? And it's it's like there's nothing about Vincenzi that makes him stand out other than he's a really really competent goalkeeper. He's got that blonde hair. You're not a fan of that? Sometimes, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of his in general. But yeah, I just, I think there are there are times when you know. And last night wasn't. We didn't get a point because of him. We got a point because we deserved a point. But the debate about who's the best goalkeeper we've ever had is impossible to resolve, isn't it? Okay, Even well, a lawyer like Streety. Well, I was about to say in a minute I'm going to put an impossible to resolve question to Andy Street. Um, but. Just quickly, what's what's the theory then with the no crowd versus crowd for goalkeepers it's it's concentration a, it, it, thing? Yeah, it's just a, yeah. With with a, it's the, they made the same point about referees, and that referees find it harder to concentrate. It's just that with no, yeah, you know, if you've got five thousand people standing behind you, it's much easier to concentrate on what's happening in front of you. You know, because five thousand people are ready for you to make a mistake or willing you to to make a mistake, and the adrenaline and con- the adrenaline and concentration go together. Mm, and it's okay. like when you're in an empty stadium and suddenly you're not always on your toes because there's, there's no, for a start, you're not kind of warned. It's like in the same way that Sky nearly missed, I think, the first chance. It cut away, they nearly missed Calvert-Lewin. It's just cut to him saving it. It's like he doesn't get any warning that something's happened. It must be it, it must be almost like being in training for them all the time. And when every mm. goalkeeping mistake is is magnified, I, I, I think it's probably something in that journalist's comment. That does make sense. It's probably why I find it so hard to concentrate for most of the gigs that I get booked for, actually, now that I think about it. Um, there's, there's a lot of reasons why you can't concentrate. <laughs> some of them cultural, some of them, let's, you know. Not, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of reasons why Endicott can't concentrate, but, you know, this is not the time and place to speculate as to what they are. <laughs> let's move on. Um, actually, Andy, I'll, do, I'll, I'll, I'll come to you about the goal, actually, because obviously we did let in a goal, and it, and it came... Um, after Guaita had made a fantastic save, as, as Joe says. Disappointed with the defenders' reactions to that because Gyro and PVA both sort of turned their back on the ball as uh, Rodriguez shoots. Coleman also free to pick it up. So Guaita let down a bit, a little bit by his defence there? Um, I think you got to say that we did give up an awful lot of chances generally and that came from some fairly sloppy defensive play. I mean, that was that was a further instance of it, but the, 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 you know, you look at the, look at the stats afterwards and um, the chances they squandered and where they were on the pitch. I mean, there were some really guilt edge ones there um, and you tend not to get chances consistently around the penalty, the penalty spots and inside the area like they did. If the defense that you're facing, isn't making some mistakes and there, there were some last night. It's funny. I mean, I, I watched the game and I, I enjoyed it. Um, but equally, I thought there was some merit in what Sky was saying because we didn't until the Batshuayi goal create many clear-cut chances at all. And we did give up a lot of chances. And yet, because we had a bit more of the ball and the attacking patterns, if you want to call it that, were a bit more uh, ambitious, it was, it was more fun to watch. So it was a bit of a paradox of a match, really, wasn't it? Hmm. My favourite stat was um, Sky's one about how many times we've won when we've had more than 50% possession. Which is never. It was none, yeah. yeah none at all. The games, uh, which is which was interesting because I didn't realise afterwards that we'd had so much more possession, which is why when both BBC and Sky afterwards said Everton were really in control of the game, they, they weren't. And there was no stage when you'd say we were in control of the game, but 
I thought I thought we we Everton didn't create chance. Like Street, he says most of the chances came from mm. a couple of misplaced passes in midfield or just switching off when balls was was switched across. But they, I, I thought we were just as good as Everton, and Everton were one of those teams that the media are willing on. They really want Everton to, you know, they love Ancelotti. And, and Everton have got some. I mean, they've got some really. Good, I looked at the the average age of our back four before the game, and then you look at players like Calvert Lewin, who are really full of confidence at the moment. You think this could be this could be quite tricky. You've know, got Rodriguez, uh, Charlison, really creative, skillful players, and for the most part, we didn't allow them to be that creative and skillful. Yeah, it was a very good performance against a team chasing a top four place. It shouldn't be forgotten. It was. Uh, it was. It was enjoyable to watch, which is something. Uh, you know, I do wonder if, if fans would have been saying the same thing had Everton put away two of the chances they probably should have put away and had Batshuayi not end up converting what was an excellent finish. You know, they, it was it, realistically on the balance of the chances. It was a 2-0 game. It just goes to show sometimes that a sting in the tail and an undeserved result can sometimes put a bit of a uh, gloss on a performance that, you know, I, I, I kind of wonder if Roy would have come out of that match. I've not seen his post-match press conference, so you'll probably tell me that he said entirely to the contrary. But it wouldn't surprise me if actually he was a bit disappointed with aspects of it. No, no, he, well, no, he said we we fully deserved the point and mm. we we matched them. I think I think Street is, as well. You can only, as Palace fans, you can only compare to what you've seen earlier in the season and other performances. I, I think I think this time last season, I think if that game was in November this season, we would have lost probably. We would have lost one nil, maybe two nil, and everyone would have gone. Well, we never win at Everton anyway. So, but I think you have to look at the performance because we, yeah, I, I, if we'd lost that game last night, I wouldn't have come away thinking, well, we played a lot better. But we we did compared to compared to the way we played before. We did we did try and win the game. We did try and get back in the game. The substitutions were very positive. The players that we brought on made a difference. I thought I thought Luca for the first time all season was looking for a forward pass nearly every time, and I thought we we weren't having possession just for the sake of it. I thought that we actually used the ball, kept it well, moved it quickly, and tried to get forward. It's just yeah, we didn't. You know, there was no grandstanding saves for their for their keeper to make, and arguably he was at fault for the goal. But in terms of getting into the final third, I thought we were a lot a lot better than we have been recently and it's like Joe is actually quite it's actually quite pleasant to watch it actually looked like two Premier League teams for once rather than us looking like a a championship team in a cup game which we've looked like a lot of the times yeah it was enjoyable but those fine margins you talk about that's why you have a goalkeeper like Guaita in there because he will gain you those those little margins. We've had a goalkeeper previously who didn't do that, and the stats back that up. And we, you know, he didn't win us points. But this is the sort of game where having a goalkeeper like that can do that. But uh, Joe, that that's sort of more enterpri- enterprising football from Palace, I mean, particularly after going behind. I mean, the stat Kevin referenced earlier was, I think, uh, once this season, I believe we've won from coming behind. I think once or twice we've drawn. So it's not very often, but. If if that kind of more attacking football does mean that you are slightly open at the back or you make more mistakes at the back, is that something you'd be willing to see from Palace further on, even though we know that's not really a Roy Hodgson thing to do? Probably not currently with the attackers we have, because I don't think we have the ability in the striking department to necessarily take the chances that would allow us to be that open at the back. Um I think the game kind of reminded me 
bit similar to the Leeds game earlier in the season uh, at home and the West Brom 5-1 away where there are certain elements within the game that just make it go our way. So in the Leeds game, it was the Bamford offside. In the West Brom game, it was the red card. And in this game, it was just Everton being absolutely awful at finishing. Um, And so the longer that goes on, the longer the players are going to feel more confident. And they did grow into the game in the second half. I don't, you know, I think Gary Neville did say something really good yesterday on Sky Sports, but I think we've all been saying that for the last two, three years is that we miss Kabai. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of evident in that transition play going forward, linking the kind of defence to the attack. And until we get that sorted, our strikers might then start scoring if the chances are of a higher quality. But until there's just something missing with the current squad, maybe that's Roy. I'm not sh- not so sure, but he has released the handbrake a little bit yesterday and in pre- and in some previous games. But then our defence isn't good enough to allow that to happen, so it, it's it's difficult. You know, I didn't quite I didn't quite realise how good a player Kabai was until we haven't got him. I didn't. I didn't always get him, but so as you know, I said it on the pod. I didn't always get what people raved about with with Kabai, But you you do realise that we miss a player like him now, just with the defensive and attacking capabilities and the ability to both carry the ball and hit a pass if if necessary. Yeah, we're going to come on to the attackers and Michi in particular in a in a minute in part two. But I think Andy, that those are valid points. That actually maybe when you look at the talent we have up front maybe up front isn't the issue and maybe it is actually this link from midfield to attack and a player like Kabai that we've said on many times in this podcast that we haven't replaced. It's interesting to see that view validated by someone like Gary Neville on Sky Sports that actually there are bigger issues than the forwards that if they are sorted, then maybe the rest clicks into place. Well, I mean, the difficulty with running a Premier League football club at a mid-level is you have to constantly refresh your talent throughout the team on an ongoing basis at significant cost and it's incredibly difficult to do and you might think oh I've got my defence nailed now and then a year later you go oh actually that one's got now a long term injury yeah. that means he's more susceptible to future injuries as well that guy's now creeping up to 33 whereas he was in his peak at 32 I'm not so sure about him now and the other guy wants to leave and you know you can very quickly get from a situation where you go oh our defence is excellent to go oh no maybe not anymore and um yeah, I mean, I, I, you look at the Palace midfield roster, if you want to use an Americanism at the moment, and um, it doesn't have a lot in the way of creative flair or ability to open up a pitch with, you know, a splitting pass or anything like that. It is very much, you know, endeavour and uh, enterprise, but not much in the way of um, of uh, yeah, defence opening ability. And unfortunately, buying those sorts of players is phenomenally expensive. So I, I don't know quite what the solution is there, but you would hope that that type of player might be a high priority. I know that there was uh, talk before this season of, of Gallagher, who went to West Brom. And obviously that was uh, at the expense of Michi coming here. Or sorry, Michi coming here was at the expense of that move because you can't have two guys in the same club. You do kind of wonder what, what impact a player like he might have had um, just that slightly more creative force in midfield. But yeah, I, mean, I, I think it was a, a valid criticism by Gary Neville. And I think it's certainly uh, in tune with what lots of Palace fans say about our midfield too. The thing is, in the, in the, just in the Premier League, 
<clears throat> of course, football happened long before that. And I'll inevitably mention Jerry Murphy at some stage. But just in the <laughs> Premier League era, off the top of your head, how many creative midfield players have we have we ever had? Lombardo, maybe Kabai, who was defensively creative. I, I, it's hard. I don't know. David Hockney. I don't know. Not, who? Jovan Kurovsky. Yeah, possible. Yeah, yeah, not for long. Spots. But but so we've never really been a team. We've always tended to rely on on getting the ball wide and getting the ball early. Anyway, we've never really been a team where you can go, yeah, well, we're, we're so used to the creative midfield types, and the, the, as Street you said, the Glenn Hoddle type of player is few and far between in the modern game. Anywhere, and they're going to go to Man City or Chelsea rather than 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 come to us. And it, it's quite clear looking at the academy. I don't think we're developing that sort of that sort of player, and they're they're probably more expensive than strikers. To be perfectly honest, and it's it will come back to that argument that we've had before: is that if you've got strikers like Mateta and Benteke, then you know if you haven't got a creative midfield player, then get the ball wide and get the ball in the box for those strikers, and then they they might score. But we've never had an abundance of creative midfield talent to get misty eyed over. No, and Kabai, we thought Kabai was going to be a number ten creative midfielder, and actually he ended up being a little bit of everything in that sort yeah. of quarterback spraying it around, but get putting his foot in. Um, yeah, I just, yeah. I think we just realised how much we miss Yanka Bayern on a personal level. I also miss him as well. Um, let's move on to part two. But before we do that, we need to get Andy's answer on where does Guaita rank in the list of Palace's greatest goalkeepers? Well, uh, cross-era comparisons are pretty specious anyway, so I'm not going to answer it. <laughs> well, uh, we're, we're going to... Let's assume that cross-era... No, ranks at number one. <laughs> Older, uh, older fans would say that John Jackson probably single-handedly, no pun intended, kept us in Division One for two seasons. So you can't, you you have to include him in the equation. Yeah, uh, Julian, I'm got, this might sound like sacrilege, but Julian was a brilliant keeper. But we loved him for his personality as much as his goalkeeping skills. Cause I you think that's remember. a bit harsh. He single-handedly played yeah, no, a massive was, role in keeping us in the Premier League and getting well, us out. He, he he did, but he also made. Some, I mean, his character was such that he, he, you know, he was shocking when he first came into the team. He wasn't a good keeper, and he stayed and made himself a good keeper. But we, we, we judged Julian on personality as much as as goalkeeper talent. And I, I think I'd be interested to see what an outsider, how an outsider rated Julian, because I think I think Gaeta is a better keeper than Julian. But I'd rather have Julian in the at Sellers Park because mm. we all love him. And I think Nigel Martin has got to be. Has got to be in there, but Nigel Martin played in a relatively successful team. So, you know, until you put a keeper like Nigel Martin in a relegation-threatened team like John Jackson played in, you, as Andy said, you really can't compare them. Maybe if we could take the best elements of each, like sort of Nigel's tash, Julie, Julian's ponytail, Guaita's yeah. blonde hair, John Jackson's no, nothing from the the hybrid shirt that you created from the spin-off pod on Twitter and got massively trolled for. <laughs> now you're trying to do the same with like. Uh, Budgie's eyebrows and um, Spironi's yeah. ponytail. I would say Julian. Yeah. I would say Spironi made the best save. His save from Joe. I would uh, one-handed save from Joe. I would say it was the best save I've seen a Palace goalkeeper make. Which what? Which one? The one in the playoff? No, the Chelsea one against. Oh right, John, John Terry's header. I think when he was backpedalling. Oh, right. uh, so, so I'm worried now. I'm backpedalling myself now because I know I'm going to get loads of tweets. And Julian Spironi's best goalkeeper ever. We really well, miss him. Don't be cruel. 
Good. It, it's all engagement. It all counts, guys. Does it doesn't oh, matter if it's good it or bad? Now, it's all good engagement. engagement. That's exactly. all that matters. Sorry, anyway, <laughs> um, let's take a break. And uh, afterwards, we're going to be discussing Michi Batshuayi. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Uh, welcome back to the Fabi Plan Podcast. Hey. Pod hey. 377. And uh, in part two, we've got an article from our sponsors, The Athletic. They're a world class team of writers covering every club, including the best coverage of Crystal Palace, their subscription based website, and now completely ad free. No ads, no pop ups, just brilliant articles. Welcome to the new home of football writing. And if you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash FYP, you can start a subscription for just £1 a month. So get on that soon if you haven't yet. Um, so this week's article is by Matt Wisdom, and it's about forwards, Kevin. In particular, Mitchy Batshuayi has scored his second goal of the season uh, up at Goodison Park. And in the article, Matt talks about, of course, those quotes from Mitchy while away on international duty with Belgium saying that he doesn't have the same trust with his club coach, a.k.a. Roy, that he does with his national team uh, coach. Uh, and then he goes on to say, and this is from Matt in the article, whilst there must always be room for flexibility, particularly accounting for the opposition strength and style, the only way to fit Batshuayi way into this team would be to relegate one of those other forwards to the bench and move Zaha out wide. That would negate what has been a successful approach this season. There has been much consternation over the perceived lack of uh, strength of depth or lack thereof in this Palace squad, but there is healthy competition up front. Against Everton, Palace opened their opponents up as the game ran towards its conclusion, it made sense to bring on a player who was more likely to take, to take advantage of this situation. Quite a few things thrown up there, formation-wise and personnel-wise, but what, what are your thoughts on Mitchy in general, considering we do have an option that we believe is about £30 million plus to buy him at the end of the season if we want him? I, I thought, first of all, it was a really well-worked goal. The build-up to the goal was really good. Again, Quick forward passing, uh, Wilf dragging the fullback out of the out of the picture. Natural finish from Batshuayi. I was I was quite disturbed by Batshuayi's comments about not being you know about being relieved to be with his country uh, because at his club he feels that he's not trusted. Um, and I, I think it, if this been, it had been a normal season, I think the tabloids would probably been all over that because I think. Palace fans deserve an answer, and I think I know Roy brushed it off and said he's pleased that he's he's angry, but he's 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 a regular for Belgium. Belgium are the number one number one ranked team in the world, and Batshuayi and Benteke are never out of the Belgian squad, so they're clearly considered good players by the best team in the world. And I, I think Matt's points are all very valid, but it comes back to a question we've asked before: if he doesn't fit into the system, why the did we get him in the in the first place? It doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me to bring a, a you know and and it, it 
it seemed that we had a choice between Loftus Cheek and Batshuayi. Is 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 the rumour, and of course we couldn't get them both. I, it makes it makes no sense to me that you get a player like Batshuayi in and then don't don't change the way you play, or occasionally change the way you play to to accommodate him. Because it, it's you, again you don't have to play the same way every game and against every opponent. So there are games when Batshuayi is going to be a better option than Ayu, for example. There are games when playing Wolf wide is a better option than playing him off Benteke. And it was interesting that Wilf, especially in the first half, was drifting in quite a lot last night. And I, I just think Patshuayi is right to be frustrated. He scored a, a really good a natural striker's goal. And, you know, we, you get the, I, I suspect that most of his goals are scored from probably within 12, 15 yards. But that's what you want from a striker. And it just, I, I don't understand why why we brought a quality player like that in and then failed to find a way to to get him into the box or get him on the pitch in the first place. I generally don't get it. Um, Jerry, let me read Roy's uh, retaliation comments because uh, <laughs> they were great. He said, uh, so obviously Batch Roy said, I don't have the same level of trust as I do with my national team. And Roy said, playing 60 minutes against Belarus and scoring one of eight goals is not quite the same as if he comes on against Everton and helps them to a 3-0 win by scoring a couple. I assume he means Palace. And that's actually, that's quite ambitious, 3-0 win at Everton. Um, what were your thoughts on those comments and what are your thoughts on Batch Roy in general? Has he played his way into the team with that goal or has he not done enough for you this season? I thought they were odd comments because you can, you know, he's a striker, he's asked to score goals and he's scored a goal. Like, you know, you can only score a goal against the opposition you're playing. Would we say, you know, for example, I think I did have a look and Belarus are like 88th in the world uh, and Belgium are first. And if that would be the equivalent of Man City playing someone in League Two, would we then go, oh, Jesus wouldn't... You know, it just doesn't make sense to me why you, that would be the kind of answer back, um, especially from from Roy as well. I mean, he knows how he's been an international manager. He knows international football is very different to club football. Um, so you have very little time to play to, you know, to be coached into a system. And yet he's still scoring goals. That's surely that's a good thing. Surely the, the answer should have been oh, it's great that we've got strikers in goal scoring form. I mean, he wasn't the only one who scored on the international duty. I think IU did as well. So that's, that's a brilliant thing. Um, in terms of Batshuayi himself, I think, unfortunately he scored just before we're about to play Chelsea. Yeah. So he can't, you know, he's kind of, it's come at a difficult time for, for the next game. Um, but I think he's probably this, the kind of, at the ceiling of striker, a club like Palace would be would be able to get. I don't know who Palace fans expect would be, you know, realistically the club would be able to get in. That would be a better Premier League striker for a team like Palace. Um, I personally think he's think he's a very solid striker. Um, he probably requires an alternate plan, um, and I. Th- I, I thought it would have worked out considering he played under Roy before and did really well. Um, so I find it odd that he's saying he's not trusted. Um, yeah. Personally for me, he's, he's probably the best striker we have at the club and, and have had for a few seasons. I, I just find it really odd. He He's not played more. It, it's like, I mean, he's rated 30 million pound is probably his value. And even in 
these days, and I know COVID is driving prices down, but even in days of inflated transfer prices, £30 million is a lot of money. But somebody will pay £30 million quid for Batshuayi. So we've got a £30 million striker who's essentially sitting on the bench doing nothing. Now, if it's because he doesn't fit into Roy's system or he doesn't work hard enough, he doesn't defend, then again, why did we get him in the first place? But you can argue he's, he's, he's scored as many goals as Benteke. Nearly. So if if we're playing Benteke, why are we not giving Betshuayi a chance? If we're playing Ayu, why are we not giving Betshuayi a chance? You, you, if you've got a, a player who's better than other players, then you find a way of getting the, the better player into the into the team. It's as, it's as simple as that. Wolf, Wolf starts week in, week out. Whether Wolf's had three bad games or three good games, Wolf will always start. And you've got a player who will score goals in the Premier League and has done for Chelsea and it isn't isn't part of the plan. And and whatever we think about what Batshuayi said and whether, you know, this whole thing about they seem to be mystified that there are people in England who who see post-match reports of Belgian games and possibly speak a bit of French, including Roy, with, you know, that whole thing, oh, I didn't know anybody would listen. But, yeah, we've got a player who we worked hard to get in who's saying that he's much happier being away with his, his country than he is at his club. And that's, it's you know, if, if a player says something, it's either because he genuinely means it or... There's, there's some kind of agent transfer business going on. He's indicating that I'm not happy. If you want me to stay, I need to play or he's out. But you know, they, he wouldn't have said it for no reason. And he's a, he's a quite, it's not Connor Wickham we're talking about here. We're talking about a, a proven goal scorer in the Premier League and an international level. And if he hasn't scored a lot of goals in the Premier League this year, it's because we haven't been playing him. You know, Benteke hasn't been scoring a lot of goals in the Premier League this year and we have been playing him. Well, I was going to say, though, Andy, I mean, the irony is that obviously Benteke still hasn't scored many goals, as Kevin says, but he is having probably his best spell since his first season in terms of returns and performance. I actually thought he was pretty good up at Everton as well and, and sort of linked up the play well. So it is his countryman, I guess, keeping him out because there is only that one spot up front alongside Wilf, unless, as Matt says, Wilf moves out wide and there's another spot freezer up, up, up top. But then you're talking about a whole change of system, really, because you can't play Wilf wide in a four. It has to become a three up front. And then Roy is changing his whole, whole system, which is something we know he doesn't do very often. So has Mitchy been unlucky for you in terms of those opportunities? Or has he, it has, you know, it hasn't been as good as a spell as the, the first time around. Has that been down to, to Mitchy in his performances or lack of opportunities under Roy? Well, he's certainly not had a lot of playing minutes. You can say that. That's an objective fact. Um, I think I was reading in either Matt's piece or another piece today that, you know, it's an average of 15 minutes game time per appearance that he's had. He's had about nine appearances. So that's not much game time at all. Obviously we're not privy to what goes on in training. So it's very difficult to know if he is training at the same sort of level as he was the last time he was here. And he's had a disappointing season or two actually between being here last time and, coming back one season no what a disappointing season sorry between uh coming back uh and and when he left um i don't know it's it's, it's a difficult one I, I in some ways i just think there's not a lot of point in getting worked up about it because i don't think it's going to change between now and the end of the season um he's not going to get more game time ahead of Benteke because Benteke is clearly the preferred option mm. no matter what um we might lament the fact that he can score goals in appropriate circumstances. He's a fantastic finisher. I don't know what else he is apart from a fantastic finisher, but he certainly is a fantastic finisher. But, you know, clearly that's not the only requirement uh, 
from Roy Hodgson's coaching staff in a strike at the moment. So it's kind of one of those where I think you've got to just accept that that's going to be the state of play for the rest of the season and deal with it. Yeah, it's just frustrating given how good he was in the first in the first spell. But yeah, the thing about football is things don't always work out how you want them to or expect them to. And I think this is one of those frustrations, unfortunately. We have had a question from Andrew Stewart. It says, if Batshuayi goes on a goal spree between now and the end of the season, will it be worth forking out the money for him? Uh, he's not given us a reason up to now. But the thing is, Kevin, as Andy says, he probably still won't get that game time despite that goal anyway. Well, I don't think he will. I think Joe makes a very good point that the, the, the Chelsea game is very badly timed in terms of Batshuayi because Roy tends to stick with the tried and tested and if we perform decently against Chelsea but I don't think Batshuayi would have started against Chelsea if he hadn't come from there anyway but I, yeah, if we perform decently against Chelsea the same team will start but it, 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 it all comes back I mean it depends who's making the decision about the money is it the Americans is it Steve Parrish is it Dougie Freeman but it all it all comes back to the fact that we, he scored seven or eight goals in the first season he came to us was six in 13 season, I think which is a, a really good return yeah. in the Premier League one and two nearly it, you know why did why did we get him back if we weren't going to play him and, you know the reason he played he scored those goals was because he played games I, I still I sound like a stuck record I know but I still don't understand why we got him back if the plan wasn't to 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 play him or accommodate him or or at least tell him that he's not going to be the first choice striker and he's he doesn't tend to play off a big strike but you know he's he's a goal scorer like you said earlier he, when he scores goals that's all that's all he does was there's not many teams that wouldn't find a way of getting a player in if that's all he does because that's basically that's all we need frankly yeah. very much. we've got plenty of other players in the team who will do the defensive work and you can see Eze's desperately trying you can see Eze looking round to see where he should be defensively half the time every now and again you can see Eze check himself because he thinks oh Christ I'm not meant to be here I'm meant to be covering the, somebody else back there and it's like if you've got somebody whose only role in life is to score goals and he scores goals then find a system to, to include him or don't bring him in it's as simple as that because he must be costing a lot of money in in wages and it's again but there's again there's always there's the uncertainty whether Roy's going to be manager full time you don't know Sean Dice might not fancy Batshuayi but Eddie Howe might think he's brilliant so you don't you really don't know you know I I suspect if Roy is our manager next season I still think that's a 50-50 chance then we won't spend that amount of money on on Batshuayi because Steve Parrish will turn around and say "Why, why are we spending 30 million quid on a player that's coming on twice every five six games yeah uh, that's a fair point uh, unfortunately Chelsea have a tendency to demand big money for their players even if they don't play that's kind of their system what would you do Joe would you spend the money on him or like Kevin says does it depend on who the manager is I mean Eddie Howe might be Celtic manager by the time this pod goes out but I guess that is a factor isn't it yeah I think that, I think that's something to take into account um Personally, I'd be amazed if if Palace were looking to spend thirty million pounds on one yeah. individual player. That's probably not far off the total budget that needs to be spread across a couple of positions. Um, I think I would look at another loan of a striker like that of someone who just has to put the chances away if Wilf goes, because I think the system is set up to get the best out of Wilf. Um, and that does happen to be the case with Benteke. He kind of plays that wall role that Giroud really did really well for Chelsea yeah. with Hazard. Um, so, yeah, it does come down to who the manager will be, but I also think it comes down to the personnel that are leaving and what our transfer strategy is going to be. But 
I don't see it happening. Um, he's probably got a, you know, he, he scored huge amounts of goals in Europe as well. You know, he got seven and 10 for Dortmund before he had a very good scoring record on Marseille. These are better teams than Palace. You know, he's, he's a Europa League level striker, probably even could start for some Champions League teams. And yet he can't get a game for Palace. It just confuses me a little bit. Um, well, you know, some would call that typical Palace, uh, but I won't. I won't do that. Anyway, look, well, let's let's wrap up there. It is a good article. Unfortunately, it does sound like by the end of the season we'll be saying Mitchy batch batch by batch. Doesn't, <laughs> doesn't quite match you by. Yeah. Oh, well, well, I tried. You knew um, you would do this segment. You've had like days to prepare this. And that was the it's, best. It's the I only reason why you're doing this segment. <laughs> Could have chosen any. I don't have days. <laughs> I have an 18-month-old child. I don't have days. I barely have minutes to prepare. That's Bessie getting. Um, anyway, if you tried that article, there's many more on Palace and various other teams and sports outside football at The Athletic. And if you go to the theathletic.co.uk forward slash FYP, you can start a subscription for just £1 a month. Um, after the break, uh, we're going to have a clip from uh, our patron pod, this is a clip of Rob and Selzy having what I would describe as a heated debate. Uh, if you're uh, on the Patreon already, you won't hear it. We're going to go straight into part four. But if you're on the normal public feed, uh, here is Rob and Selzy. Toda buena fiesta comienza con un buen outfit y tu próxima cita es con JCPenney, en donde encuentras de todo para cualquier ocasión. Ya sea elegante o casual, tenemos puro estilo para ti. Desde vestidos, trajes, colores y estampados. De marcas como Liz Claiborne, Worthington, Stafford y J. Ferrar. ¡Ay, no olvidemos Thereabouts para los chiquitos! Descubre lo último en la tienda o en jcp.com. Estilo de pieza a cabeza para donde sea que vayas. JCPenney. is capable of against Chelsea. We know what he's capable of, so why not try and play ben- Mateta in that situation? I, it, it, again, it's it's the manager's conundrum. Well, but... we've played six games. The last six games, we've won two, drawn three and lost one. And the one game we lost in, Christian Benteke scored. So you can probably say that he's more likely to... Uh, to stick with something that's bringing the team results. I mean, for Palace to lose one in six games in the Premier League is a pretty decent return, really, at this level with with what they got. No doubt everyone will disagree and think we should be winning every game, of course, but that's... No, I I think... think That's bad. I think Roy Hodgson deserves a huge amount of credit. Um, I, I still think it's fair to say we've signed a striker and not played him and... That to me it falls back into the whole. We sign strikers and Roy doesn't play them. We sign, you know, the the, the, the scouts like we sign a midfield midfielders that the scouts like, and Roy tends not to play them either. It is one of those situations where you kind of think, well, what's the point in even signing a striker? Why bother signing Mateta? This in the in, because in, well, I'll tell you the answer to that. He makes the other ones better that are around him because there's more competition for their place. And at the end of the day, if having Mateta makes Christian Benteke suddenly find a bit of form, then it serves a purpose whichever way round and gives you depth and competition, which is what you what you want and what you need. I don't think we need to play people because we want to see... There's this notion with fans quite a lot that 
whatever we whatever they haven't seen is better than what they've already got. And for whatever reason that they that they they see that, I don't know. You know the you know the Max Meyer situation was ridiculous. The the Victor Camarasa situation, you know. You've got to remember that these blokes are are, are are watching these people every single day, every minute of the day, and have, have their eyes on them non-stop. We see them here and there. We don't know the backstory. We don't see everything that they see. You know, I had one conversation with somebody last year who told me that, that you know, Roy was wrong for not playing Brandon Pierrick. I said, well, I'm sure if he was doing well Thank enough, he'd play him. Do you know what I mean? I, He's not sitting there going, this bloke's absolutely tremendous. I'm not going to play him. He doesn't do I that. Think, I think that's fair. But I think the, the, the counter to that is you can, you can make that argument about youth players. You can make that argument very easily about youth players because those are the players that are not experienced at all in professional football. But when you're talking about signing players on big contracts from abroad that, that you would probably have spent a lot of money on to then not play them because the you know the, we haven't, the, we haven't spent the horse, a lot of money on anyone Rob. no we I'm not saying I'm not saying that but I'm saying on anybody. in Mateta's case for example if he ends up being you know, if Palace end up wanting to sign him, they will still have to spend money on him. They will still have to secure him as a striker. You know, they'll still have to spend money. But the only way you're, you're going to know if he's going to be good enough to play is if you play him. And the same can be said about, look at look at Jairo Riedewald. I mean, this is a guy who spent a huge amount of time not playing that, that, that Palace basically attempted to, to shift out of the club. I think to was it to to Cardiff City or somewhere like Swansea. that? Swansea. To Swansea. We tried to get rid of him so hard because the manager would not play him. And then you end up in a situation where we only have the only opportunity we have to play him is as a left back. And that does enough to convince the manager at that point that he's actually got a bit more about him. And and, and that I, I understand. Rob, that's a very simplistic it. approach it's, and absolute nonsense. Jairo <laughs> was absolutely terrible when he got into Crystal Palace's team because he couldn't cope with the physicality oh. of playing in the Premier League. But how being you... here for a period of time, he got better. Over the course better. of, we're talking three years. It took him three yeah. years to. I, I don't believe it. I'm sorry, Adam. Well, well, I don't believe I'm it. Telling you, it's a fact. You don't believe it. <laughs> this is he's, 20, he's 24, not 21, and that's a big difference. I still, I still think that by all means, you know, football managers pick their pick players that they like that suit that the, 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 they feel that they can see things in, right? And I can, I totally get that. But to suggest that Roy Hodgson has has no culpability for the failure of some of our players, for think for the way that some of our players haven't succeeded, is just bunkum. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Right, welcome back to part four of the Five Plan Podcast. 
Hey. Uh, are, they right, we, are they talking now? Are they friends? They're, yeah, they're fine. It's all, oh, yeah. Good. It's just passion, Kevin. It's just, yeah. it's just passion. Well, it's easy to calm Rob down here. He just dangle a glider in front of him. He's, he's fine then. <laughs> uh, let's move on. Yeah, uh, let's move on to part four questions uh, from our listeners. Uh, here's a question. Oh, okay, here's a question. Uh, I'll go to Joe for this one from Stephen Rodan. Or Hi, Rodin. Steven. Hi, I'm going to go with the European Rodin uh, pronunciation. Eze in the middle? Question mark. Uh, as in middle, anyone is what he said. Uh, Eze sort of ended up in a sort of almost, almost defensive midfield role towards the end of the game, which I'm sure was temporary. Uh, but he had a, a pretty decent performance, didn't he? Eze up at Everton uh, on Monday. But the question still sort of remains where, where's his best position? Yeah, I think I think he can play that role. Um, I think he was well. Fans were being were kind of crying out at the beginning of the season to see him in the number ten position. Um, he he played that very briefly. Uh, I can't. Remember. I think it was Wolves at home where we played that kind of four two three one, and then it switched to the four four two in the second half, and then we scored. Um, he, he has the technical ability to play that role. He was. Very good for England for the under-21s the other day mm. um, in, in kind of a deep-lying playmaker role to borrow some terms from football manager. But um, <laughs> I, I think he's got everything to play that role in terms of technical ability, in terms of the physical ability as well. He's he's a very strong player, surprisingly strong for his stature, which obviously has, you know, has helped coming from the championship. Um I also think if he plays in the middle, he gets out of Zaha's way. Um, I think the 4-4-2 and we have Van Aanholt as a, and Wilf kind of playing as the left striker, I think they just bunch up a bit too much and no one's kind of making incisive runs through the middle, uh, which I think probably would happen more if Eze played in the centre. Um, so yeah, I, I, but it also depends on who's the manager. Roy's not going to Moving forward, Roy's not going to move away from four four two with six games remaining. Um, I'd be surprised anyway. Uh, so, so maybe in a four three three or four two three one, we can see him there. But uh, he's definitely got the ability to. Um, yeah, yeah. You've almost, you've almost got the opposite problem with with Eze than you have with Batshuayi. Batshuayi can do one thing really well, which is score goals, whereas Eze can do two or three. Really well, and it's still a big argument. If QPR fans are still arguing about what his best position was for them, and a, a lot of QPR fans will say he's as a number ten or off the main striker. But it's the one thing I, I agree with Joe. One thing I don't want to see him is an out and out winger. I think he's got too much creativity to play as an out and out winger. I'd rather see him. I'd, I'd I'd love to see him play off in a sort of A role, sort of floating around, just off Benteke or whoever the main striker is sort of role. Give him a bit of a bit of freedom but I, th- I think Joe makes a really good point about and, and you know, so much of our good attacking play does come down the left and also this time of the season when Roy does tend to as Joe said let the handbrake off we that's we get a bit more attacking still down the left hand side and I do think sometimes Eze replicates Wilf's movement and I I think he'll learn a lot you, you can you can sort of understand why Eze would gravitate towards Wilf on the pitch really similar sort of players but I don't think we've quite 
found the best. And I think it's a good problem to have as well. This is not it's not a negative thing. It's not like, that's why it's like, well, we haven't found a way of getting him to do the one thing he's good at. I think it might take another season yet before we work out where Eze's best position is. But he looks the one thing we have to consolate, he looks like a Premier League player. He belongs in the in the Premier League. There's no there's no doubt about it. And he is I, I thought Gary Neville was slightly dismissive last night. He said, "We, you know, Palace have got one or two players that could cause problems. We've got more players than that that can cause problems. It's just <coughs> struggle to find the ways to get them to do it. Essentially, we've got some, we've got some quality players up there, especially up front. But we just struggle to find the best, to best. And I think it will take a while before we work out where Eze's best position is." Yeah, I mean, he's definitely the future, though, Andy, isn't oh, that, he, of, this, of this Palace team going forward. And, and you know, he's, remember when he came in at the start of the season, we were, we were all sort of not quite sure how much he'll feature, where he'll play. But now we're getting towards the sort of uh, the home stretch. He's been a pretty consistent feature pretty much since the turn of the year and has put in some great performances. And, and no matter where he's played, really, uh, I guess yesterday was left of the four and then later on allowed to sort of play more centrally. I thought he was absolutely superb. And he's one of these players, you know, Kevin has brought it up many times in the pod that we missed the, that Balassi uh, character to balance out Wilf up top. But Eze is a different player. Eze needs to come from deep. His strength is when he gets the ball deep and, and glides through people or knocks it into someone up top and then plays off him like he did with the uh, chance he created with Ayu uh, in the first half. So there's definitely more to come from him. But I guess, it, as Joe says, depends on who the manager is as, as to where he plays. But... It's difficult for us fans to know what what gets the best out of him because we don't see him as much on the training ground. We just see him at the weekend being forced into a rigid formation sometimes. But I guess yeah, there has to be an element of trust to the coaching staff, doesn't there, that they know how to get the best out of him? I think so, yeah. Um, and equally, I think people need to recognise what a phenomenal achievement it is. I mean, they do. But, uh, you know, there's there's really a lot to be said for how quickly he's got into the team and embedded himself within it and not been taken out of it, even when there've been momentary dips in form. Um, that's quite an astonishing achievement for a player of his age, going straight into a Premier League club of Palace's stature and being in the team every single week. And so, you know, he, he, his position will evolve over time. All players' positions on the pitch, you know, change and mould and adapt. Um, and where a player starts isn't necessarily where they, they ultimately end up. Wilf was very much a, mm. an out-and-out winger when he played for us in the Championship. Now he's more or less an auxiliary striker. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's that, I suppose, slight frustration amongst fans that we can see what there is, that we can see that there's more to come from it, and don't yet quite know how that can be harnessed or uh, the best system to harness it in. But equally, I think we just need to enjoy the fact that he's a phenomenal player, already playing very, very well for us, and is probably the most exciting player that we've got in the team, bar Wolf at the moment. I can't wait to see him live. Yeah. It's one of the things I'm looking forward to getting better. Because yeah. you just hope that he feeds off the energy of the crowd, like the way Yannick and Wilf yeah. used to, and it gives him an extra yard of pace and an extra sort of burst of adrenaline, because 
that that's going to be a brilliant moment when you know. I mean, the the, the goal he scored against Sheffield United. If there'd been a crowd there, it would have yeah. it would have been five minutes before you kicked off again. Yeah, basically. So you forget that most of us, bar two thousand people, haven't haven't seen him haven't play seen live. Him live I yeah, yeah, I'd completely forgotten that. That is going to be fantastic, and I get I do get the impression he's one of those players. I think with a crowd that does give him an extra one or two percent. So that is very exciting indeed. Um, oh, we haven't got time for many more questions. I'll do a couple of quick ones. Um, Liers. Hi, Lee. Um, hi, Lee. Says, is 6pm on a Monday the crappiest start time for a match? And if not, what is? I mean, it's up there, Kevin, isn't it? Definitely. It's, it's hard. You, you know my views on this time of year. I'm against it. I don't like it, full stop. But six, six, I wouldn't mind. Six o'clock on a winter's evening, it was dark and the floodlights were on just about. But six o'clock and a half, it's, not, it's, it's still Easter and it's not quite. And it's just, oh, just terror. It's a terror. It's really hard to get into it. It's, it's but... Yeah, well, I'm, at least it wasn't the last game of this. At least we could actually sit back and relax and watch a, a really good West Ham Wolves game. Jesse Lingard, what a buy or move he was! Fantastic. But yeah, it's, it's. I mean, that's been that's been part of the problem with this season, isn't it? It's just the the, the random kickoff times. But the season, it, it we we all wanted the season to be completed and to be for it to be completed on time. You have to have games at six o'clock on a on a Monday evening. But yeah, it's a. Well, it looks like it might be, you know, things are looking, like heading in the right direction. It looks like some of us might even be in for the Arsenal game, which yeah. would be fantastic. So, and then before you know it, next season will be here and hopefully maybe we'll all be there again and we can just put the season behind us and get back to moaning in the Pawsons at 2.30 on a oh. Saturday afternoon. Um, final question is one that I would normally put to Kevin. I'm going to put it to Joe as our guest this week. I think you can all imagine what the question is. It comes from Jackstar CPFC. Hi, Jack. Hi, Jack. And uh, he says, can you say, can you say we've turned a corner, Joe? <laughs> Since it's normally uh, Kevin's answer, I don't think I actually can. I think he has to. Um... <laughs> yeah, don't put Joe on a spot like that. It's, just, it's, a, it's a tricky question. It's a, even the lawyer struggles to ask here. Yeah, we are. Yeah, I, it's off the back of one half decent performance, I'm going to say, yes, we have. Let's let's get into Europe. It's, well, it's uh, I think I think Roy and, and Joe alluded to this earlier, and I think Roy's probably. I'll be interested to see. I know we'll talk about this in a minute, but it, it seems to me that Roy's let us express ourselves a couple of games earlier than than before. Normally, you'd, you'd wait for. You know, we're definitely staying up, so maybe Roy's acknowledging that and playing in a slightly. Yeah, as Street is right, it's still a kind of reactionary way of playing football, but it's a more positive reactionary way of playing football. And we played it much further up the pitch than we do normally. So it would be it would be nice to think that we can relax and enjoy the last few games of the season. Thinking as until of course we get spanked by Chelsea, and everyone says, "What's Hodgson doing?" <laughs> In their retaliation to their West Brom <laughs> defeat, I think I'm gonna. I think we. I think it is a slight corner turn i think we can see the corner and we're and we're leaning into it because uh, it is that time of the season when yeah. we know where the handbrake comes trouble is we're, we're leaning into that corner with the possibility of losing 12 of the players on the motorbike <laughs> why have we got 12 players on the motorbike that sounds well, that's, yeah, that's our own very impressive trick <laughs> well, especially in these days of social distancing as well it's still two meters apart it's like <laughs> well it's like, motorbike. Things, like, like, like scooby-doo motorbikes anyway uh right we're going to come back in part five and really briefly chat about that chelsea game uh that is happening this weekend
welcome, welcome back to the Five Pound Podcast. Hey, part five. We have turned the corner. Uh, this pod has turned the corner into part five, uh, which is rare for us to have a part five. But here we go. Uh, it's the next preview game. It's at home to Chelsea, Andy. Uh, Chelsea, of course, uh, had off the back of that five-two home defeat. By Sam Anadice, which I think actually set a record for the number of times that Amanda has beaten one at Chelsea with three different teams. Yeah. I think one us being one of them uh, back in 2017. So you'd, you'd expect Chelsea to have some sort of reaction, um, but what do we expect from Palace? In fact, Chris Chantry, hi Chris, hi Chris, has said, "Will we see a similar lineup to the end of the Everton game starting in the near future?" So let's. Well, obviously we can't. Mitchy won't play, but maybe I think it's alluding to Schlapp and Mateta. I'd expect Royal play the same team that started the Everton game. What do you reckon? Yes. Would you, uh, okay. Hey, wait, wait. Why? Very good. Yeah. Uh, Roy is a creature of habit, and we didn't lose that football match. And I think the manner in which it, it ended, and the fact that it ended up being ultimately a good result, uh, I think will be determinative. He he doesn't like to change a team that hasn't lost, unless he's forced to. Um, <clears throat> the only one that you might say he he may be minded to bring in because he likes him is Schlupp, but I don't know quite how Schlupp's fitness is yet. Um, obviously came on and showed his typical energy, but whether or not he's ready for starting a Premier League match at a, a club like Chelsea yet, I don't know. So I, I, I can't see him doing anything other than starting exactly the same team. I, I think the only difference might be that who's, who starts with Luca, whether it's Gyro, he might... I don't know what the fitness levels of McCarthy and McCarthy are like at the moment, but that's it's, it strikes me that against Chelsea, he might not trust Gyro in that role, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's if it's the same starting eleven. It's going to be interesting for Chelsea because they not only they're not lost, they're certainly not lost like that before. And it's, you know, they've been fighting on the pitch as well, which sounded like it was pretty, pretty unsavoury. Um, you can only imagine they'll be flying at us from the start. So it'd be it's again, it's one of those games where I think the fact there's not a crowd will work in our favour. To be honest, because it's not going to be sort of hostile and and febrile. But I'll be interested to see how we approach it. Whether Roy's approach is slightly more forward thinking, like like it was last night, or whether he thinks that Chelsea, he sometimes tends to withdraw into his wise old tortoiseshell when we're playing teams that he thinks are much better than the rest of the Premier League. And it might be that he thinks Everton are a team roughly on our level, and we can take those risks. And it, that Chelsea aren't, and we have to be a bit more, bit more cautious and sit back a little bit more. But it's uh, an interesting one. And again, it's one of those games that I really wish. I hope Tuchel is still there next season because I want to see people like Tuchel in the flesh. Mm. It's one of the brilliant reasons about being in the Premier League is when you get to see the best managers in the world prowling up and down and down the touchline so it's a it's a it's a shame not there in a way but it'll be interesting to see how Chelsea react but and I'm, I'm glad we've all we're already safe it's going to be a much easier game to enjoy than if we still needed three or four points to to keep us up yeah I mean it was that it was that Chelsea game in 2017 Joe wasn't it when we got our first win under Roy when he did actually let us go for it, it weirdly it after yeah. seven defeats on the bounce he still I know it was that weird double false nine up top with with Wilf and Andros, but he did he did let us go for it, and maybe yeah, as Kevin says, maybe now that you know we we're pretty safe and the shackles seem to be released a bit against Everton, maybe he will. But it will be interesting. I think Chelsea are playing this week, aren't they? As well in Europe, they are. They are yeah, they're away. So, 
away to Porto, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So that was surely will have an effect on on the team and the lineup. You think? But um, I don't know. I feel like if if Palace go out there and 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 give it play a bit more expansively and a bit more kind of positively like they did at Goodison Park. And even if they then end up losing two or three nil to Chelsea, I won't be that disheartened because if it's even half as entertaining as Monday night was, I'll be happy because that was actually quite fun to watch for the first time in quite a while. So I'm not expecting too much from this. I expect Chelsea to, to have quite a strong reaction to that West Brom game, but we are in a nice position now, Joe, I think where maybe we can hope for a bit of ex- entertainment. Yeah, you'd, you'd like to hope so. I mean, the last few games against Chelsea under Roy have been very hard to watch. Um, we've not really turned up. It's been quite disheartening, really. Um, but they are a very good team, especially under um, the new manager. But they are they do have a European game ahead of them, which you know is a very important competition to them, especially with the amount of money they've outlaid this year, but also seem to look like going to be doing next year as well. So Champions League football is vital to those plans. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to see Roy go out and actually attack them because I don't think defensively they are, they are great. Um, especially now, you know, Thiago Silva will be suspended. I would imagine for the, yeah. for the, uh, for our game. They're not, yeah, they're not as solid defensively as they were a few years back under Conte, um, which I think was when he was manager at the time when Roy beat them, I think. Yeah, I think he was, yeah. Uh, they're a team that if we attack and everything works for us going forward, we can cause problems. But a lot has to go right for Palace and a lot has to go wrong for Chelsea for us to get more than a draw, I think. Also, it was the anniversary this week or last week, wasn't it, of... The, the win at Stamford Bridge where mm. Benteke scored apart from the Brighton goal a few weeks ago arguably his best goal for Palace when he sat the keeper down yeah when and it, it it's strange watching somebody tweeted the seven minute highlight package of that and I know it's only seven minutes but for at least three and a half minutes of that we were attacking so it's like maybe Roy should show the team that that video it's like it's just a reminder of what Benteke is actually is actually capable of when he gets the ball in and around around the box well and he has been showing a bit more of that in the last few months i think uh, and probably and this is a debate for another pod but potentially he earned himself a new contract at palace which is I hope he not has, something actually. well i don't think we'd have been saying that you know no, a few no. months ago but things can change quickly in football uh but that is a debate for another episode as for now that's the end of this week's pod so uh joe thank you very much for returning and joining it was great to have you back on no worries thank you very much for having me top man and we appreciate your support via patron and with all our patrons of course we do really appreciate your support uh kevin um enjoy the i was gonna say snow but i guess i don't know the sunshine when it comes back out just just try and enjoy it yourself I'm enjoying the fact that it's dark out just let me enjoy the few brief moments of darkness we have <laughs> this time of year before we head into june and july and it's daylight all the time i might call this week's episode a few brief moments of darkness <laughs> sort of sounds like a leonard cohen record doesn't it um there we go yeah, yeah, we one, got... of his, one of his cheerier records <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh there you go we got the title and andy good to have you back on hopefully it won't be you know so long uh until we see you again good to be back on hey top man uh thanks for listening for listening uh thanks to the athletics for supporting this episode we'll be back next week after that chelsea game but until then Uh, Stay safe, enjoy yourself, and we'll see you again soon. Bye. Bye.
Social Podcast Network.